It is very good to be here. Uh, it always feels like a bit of a homecoming, as this was such a formative place for uh, my life in ministry. And we got uh, married in this building, and two of our kids were born in this town. And so it's always uh, good to be back here with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, which we're going to get to in a moment. And I know you've been in a series in Deuteronomy, and so as Bruce and I talked through this, um, this was the, the portion of the book that I wanted to focus on this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, these days it's incredibly easy for us to get advice. Uh, you can go on the website or on the web and just, you know, ask.com, and you can get advice for anything, anytime, uh, just at your fingertips. In fact, you know, my wife likes to do that around medical issues, which makes me extremely nervous. Uh, because the common cold can go to a you know, deathbed situation really quickly if you Google it. Because uh, you can find the symptoms for any life-threatening disease very quickly uh, on the internet. So usually, actually, if she's feeling ill and she's saying, you know, I'm not feeling too good. I'm going to go, go check things out and see maybe what my symptoms are. I usually find a way to turn off our Wi-Fi. Uh, I want to somehow disconnect the computer so that she can't get there. Uh, the problem is when you find advice, so you get advice on anything, of course, advice is only good advice. First of all, it has to be good advice. But secondly, it's only useful advice if you actually apply it. A lot of us can get great advice uh, about different things, but if we don't apply it, it's actually quite meaningless. And uh, the text that we're going to look at today is really where Moses has had this, this story of, of uh, leading the people of Israel And he is trying to get them to apply good advice. He's trying to get them to apply the things that he's been trying to teach them. The problem is uh, that they struggled to do that. But if you transport that concept of applying good advice into our day and age, currently we seem to be obsessed as a North American culture with wanting to keep our options open. Like we don't want to commit to anything just in case something better might come along. And I think actually the younger we are, the more true this is. So I watch this uh, with, uh, you know, different, with my kids or with um, youth groups and stuff. And you can see it by the texting conversations. Because it'll go something like this, right? They, they're, uh, they're talking and they're, I'll see them around church and they're, they're texting, of course, each other. And they go, you know, what are you going to do tonight? I don't know. What are you going to do tonight? I don't know. What are you going to do tonight? And that will go on for five minutes. And after that, well, why don't we go to a movie? Okay, well, who's going? I don't know. We'll have to see who's going. Well, I'll go if so-and-so goes. And then that'll go on for, for quite a while, and now it's getting closer to the movie. Right? So are you going to come? I don't know. Who's going? Right? And that'll keep going for a while. And then finally goes, well, uh, I'm not sure who's going. Maybe I'll go. Maybe I won't go. And they're going back and forth, and finally nothing better has come up, and they go, okay, I'm going. Can I get a ride with you? And then they get a text back. Well, too late. I've already left. I have watched this over and over and over. As a culture, we are terrified that we are going to miss out on something better than what is in front of us. And so we're scared to make decisions. And I've watched this in all areas of life. I see it happen in relationships. I see it happen in commitments to work or to school or, uh, you know, all kinds of these big things that they can be big things or little things, but we're scared to make decisions 
And then, then actually the time passes. And I actually said to one person who didn't want to make a decision, I said, no decision is a decision. Went, what do you mean? Well, that's actually making, not making a decision is actually deciding something. It's actually you're deciding no. You actually are not absolving yourself the responsibility of that by just letting it pass. And Moses is, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you have this story of Moses giving a recap of everything that God has done with the people of Israel. Right? He's, he's uh, for, for chapter 28 or 29 and 30, he's given a recap of God's story with the people of Israel, how he's walked with them through these 40 years in the desert, all the incredible things that God has done, uh, the miraculous and the ways that the people actually have disobeyed God, even though they saw the miraculous, and, and times how God still provided for the people. Miraculous food provision, uh, miraculous water provision, uh, the pillar of fire uh, by night, the pillar of cloud by day to guide them. Like, I would always like to think when I read these stories of the Old Testament, I would love to think that if I was there, surely God's incredible presence would have convinced me to obey him. The problem is I'm a human being, and I keep thinking, well, if I'm really honest, I probably wouldn't have behaved that much different than they did, which is really disappointing. But it's probably true. And yet God showed up in such amazing ways in this story, over and over and over. So Moses recounts all this amazing history, and then in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Verses 11 to 20, he brings this thing sort of to a climax. Listen as I read, or you can follow on the screen. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us uh, so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your hearts that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your hearts turn away and you refuse to listen... And if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I give you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life, so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses is linking the past, the present, and the future. The past is important because it reminds the people of God's grace and his deliverance and his promise. The stories that have happened over the last 40 years. The future is important because it's the place that the Lord is inviting them to, the promised land across the river, the land that God promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they intersect in this moment of decision that the people are being called to make, to demonstrate their willingness 
to walk with God walking into the future. Just as a side note, as I was preparing this, it, it, uh, it just struck me that so often in our lives, we come to this same point on many levels. So if we had time this morning to hear the stories in this room, the stories of perhaps tragedy, the stories of difficulty, the stories of abuse, the stories that have shaped your lives and have impacted you profoundly. Stories that perhaps some of you would say, you know what, because of what's happened to me, my future options are very limited. Because of what's happened to me, I don't live with hope. Friends, your stories are stories that perhaps, or they do, they shape you as all of our history does. But your past, even though it's shaped you, does not determine your future. Because when you walk with God, your future is in his hands. And the intersection point is the present, which is the point of choice. So your past shapes you, your future is open, and your present is where you make choices of which way you will go today. So you are not stuck in your past. If you walked in here this morning and think, I'm stuck in my past. I don't live with hope because of my past. I actually, I believe that's a lie of the enemy who wants you to believe that God is not a God of hope. And for the people of Israel, Moses is saying, your future is open, right? He tells them in the book of Deuteronomy, he's telling them, this is not beyond your reach. This choice is possible. It's within your reach. It's within your heart. It's within your understanding. And when I read that, what I'm hearing is there's people he's talking to who go, this is beyond us. We can't do this. It's hopeless. It's never hopeless when you're dealing with God. But he is telling them it's time for a gut check. He is telling them that they have to choose alignment with God. Now, part of that, of course, is tied to obedience. And that's not a word that's real popular in our culture today. Synonyms for obedience would be words like submission or compliance. They're all words that we read and hear negatively. I don't know how you feel when you hear those words. I know there's a part of me that can bristle because I like to be in charge. That's just my innate thing, right? I don't like being a passenger in the car. I want to be a driver in the car. My wife would say I have control issues. Of course, she wants to drive too, so what's that then? Just saying. Right? Obedience is something that we struggle with. And often we go, well, compared to so-and-so I'm obedient. Right? We do it by comparison. You know, I have three boys, so if one of the boys would get in trouble, one of the first things that would come out of their mouths is, well, what about my brother? Right? No, no, we're not talking about your brother. We're talking about you today. Right? They want to try and deflect it. You know, compared to my brother, I'm obedient. Right? We often do those things. Compared to other people, hey, I'm looking pretty good. Now, we don't pick someone who's more obedient than us. Right? We always pick someone, of course, who's less obedient than us. And often I think obedience is kind of like uh, we follow obedience the way we, the menu at the keg works. Right? It's a la carte. You can go to the keg and I'll take that steak and that veggie and this other side dish. I think often in our society, that's how we like obedience. 
Well, I'll take obedience, you know, in my marriage, and, well, obedience in driving is optional. And, you know, we, we kind of pick and choose where we want obedience because we want to be in control. But that's not what God's talking about. Because not, God is not talking about, and Moses is not talking about in this scenario, adherence to a set of rules. He's talking about who your authority is. Well, again, in our culture, those are, those are not politically correct words. There's a few lies in our culture, and we could spend all day talking about the cultural side of this, but there's just a few lies in our culture that really fly in the face of what God is calling us to. Here's a basic one. Freedom means I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want. That's true freedom. Right? You'll hear that. You'll hear it in movies. You're going to hear it on the radio. You'll hear it woven into our culture. Another lie you're going to hear is that it's my right to be happy now and to do whatever it takes to make me happy. In fact, if you listen to the radio for any amount of time and listen to the commercials, you're going to hear what you deserve repeatedly. Most commercials on the radio are going to tell you you deserve and then they'll fill in whatever they're selling. But they use the word deserve to try and make you feel entitled and missing, and that you're missing out if you don't take that thing that you deserve. Or, or another lie is that God does not have my interest, best interest at heart because he's too restrictive. There's too many limitations if I follow God. These are subtle lies that we often hear and people feel ripped off. And yet, what is Moses saying? He's telling the people, I implore you to choose life. Not to choose this hard path because it's hard. He's saying, choose life. He's not saying choose rules. He's saying, choose life. He's not saying choose obligation. He's saying, choose life. Why is he doing that? Why is he laying out this incredibly challenging context to the people of Israel? Jim Collins, uh, is a business author, wrote this great business book a number of years ago called Good to Great. And in that book, he uh, does an interview with Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was the highest-ranking U.S. prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. And Admiral Stockdale survived eight years of torture uh, when so many others couldn't. And so Jim was trying to understand from the admiral, how did you survive when others didn't? And, uh, and so, he, so Jim asks the admiral, he says, so who didn't make it out? And the admiral said, well, that's easy. The optimists. It's the optimists who didn't survive. You read that and you go, the optimists didn't survive? You think the pessimists wouldn't survive. He says, no, it's the optimists who didn't survive. Well, why didn't the optimists survive? He says, the optimists were the ones who said, we'll be out by Christmas, but Christmas would pass. Then Easter, then Thanksgiving, and ultimately they died of a broken heart. But then he said this, this is an important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And Jim called that then the Stockdale paradox for Admiral Stockdale. Let me read that again. You must never confuse confuse faith that you will prevail in the end 
which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal, the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. So Moses is trying to paint a picture of here's the brutal facts of your reality and here also is the hope that you will survive. Here's the amazing things God has done in the past. Here's actually the faithlessness of your story. But here's the hope that you will survive if you choose life. If you choose God. If you choose following him. All the promises that he said will become your reality. Now, the interesting thing is we understand that any of the big decisions we make in life take an all-or-nothing kind of commitment. We do inherently get that. Because if we buy a house, say for instance, or we get married, we understand that it takes an all-or-nothing commitment. So when you buy a house, for instance, you don't sort of slide into ownership of a house. Right? You don't show up at a house and say, well, I kind of like that house. So I'm going to move into one room. I'm sure the family that lives there will be okay. But within a year, that house will be ours. Right? That doesn't work. You sign on a dotted line. Like this is a formal commitment. In fact, usually when it's your first house, it's a terrifying commitment because you realize what you're in for. You realize what you're obligated to. Marriage. Somebody asked. Somebody answered. Two people said, I do. You didn't say, well, let's sort of be married. Right? That doesn't work. We all know that doesn't work. In fact, it's amazing what we go through to get married sometimes. My, um, my married son and daughter-in-law are here this weekend. We'll go out for dinner right after church. and They came up to celebrate their first anniversary because they got married on June 7th last year. And I still remember talking to my son all the preparations for, to pop the question. They live in Cairnport, Saskatchewan. The night he went to pop, they were going to go for a walk. The night they were going to pop, he's going to ask the question. Well, it was, I don't know, 30 or 40 below or something. And he wants to go for a walk. And she's like, are you crazy? It's cold out there. But no, he's got this whole thing set up. And there's friends involved. I think there was even fireworks. And I didn't know fireworks could go off when it's that cold. Right? But it's this, it's this buildup because it's a big deal. We understand that the greatest commitments in life are all or nothing commitments. We get that. And yet, somehow, often around God, we, we struggle with that. We want to go a la carte. We, we struggle with, with that all or nothing commitment that Moses is calling for. So Moses brings things to a head in, in uh, verse 11. Again, he says, you know God's laws. It isn't impossible to obey them. His commands aren't in heaven, so you can't excuse yourselves by saying, oh, how can we obey the Lord's commands? He says, this is all within your reach. How can we, they are, or that they are across the sea and someone must go across and go get them? No, these commands are nearby and you know them by heart and all you have to do is obey. All you have to do is obey. It's interesting, the community that Moses is writing to, these people, they're very religious people, right? They're the people of God. They're very religious people. They would have had these things taught to them since birth. It was a closed religious community. This is like, for those of you who've grown up in church, 
You've heard the teachings of the Bible your entire life. This is the same kind of context. This is not for lack of information. Moses is not teaching them something they don't know. He is dealing with how they think. They have all the information. They've been trained their entire lives. They've seen God's provision their entire lives. This is very familiar territory, but this is now becoming a question of the heart. That is what he is dealing with. It's an in question of the heart. It's a decision of submission. It's not of rule keeping. It's a, it's a decision of commitment. All the information is there. But where do you align your heart? Which authority will you give your life to? That's what he's talking to them about. And for us today, we have an added benefit that these people never had. What do we have that they don't have? We have the Holy Spirit. So when we become Christ followers, right? when we ask God to forgive us of our sins and invite Jesus to be our leader, the leader of our lives, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. That's what we're told. God lives within us through the presence of the Spirit. So for the people that Moses is talking to, God spoke to them through prophets. It was always through other people. For us, the Spirit lives in us if you're a Christ follower. So we have a resource that these people never had for for the revelation of God through the people and the Word of God to be made real to us. So we have have a leg up on, on the people of Israel that they never experienced. And yet, there is still a choice to make. You can choose life and success, he, sa- he says in, in verse 15, or death and disaster. What does it mean to choose life? Well, on one level, it means to be covenant people of God. He said, will you live in the covenant when you walk into the new, the new land across the river? Because God said, if you are my people, and if, you, and if you follow me, these are the blessings you will live with. I will be your leader, and you will live in these blessings. If not, if you follow other gods of the people around me, then you will be stuck in the cursings of that. What does that cursing mean? It means you are separated from the power and the presence of God. That's what he's talking about. You will be separated from that. Then Moses says, right now I call on the sky and the earth to be witnesses that I am offering you this choice. Will you choose for the Lord to make you prosperous, to make you prosperous and give you long life? For you to say, yeah, I want God's prosperity. For you to make that commitment, this is what it means. It's not just saying, God, I want your blessing on my life. In other words, I'm in charge, and God, I want you to bless what I do. When you say, God, I want your prosperity, that means you're saying, God, I want you in charge. God, I want to be, to be prosperous by God means that it's prosperous in God's ways. Under his leadership, under his direction. It's putting him in the driver's seat of your light. You're giving up control. You're giving up self-determination and final authority. You're not simply applying God's principles to your life. You're making him the final authority. And it says if, that, if you don't want that choice, it says then you will live with, with cursing, it talks about. What is cursing? It is being separated from the power and the presence of God. That's what he's talking about. It's not that... It's not like some medieval curse. It's actually being separated from God. And when he says choose life, in the Hebrew, which that's written in, life is a synonym for God. 
Choosing life is not a blessing or a program. It's actually choosing who God is and putting him in the center of your life. That's what he's talking about. Jesus said, if you'll love me, you'll obey me. Obedience comes out of that relationship piece. David wrote, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. It's the expression of that. So this isn't about legalism. This isn't about pulling yourself by your bootstraps through your self-effort. This is about saying, God, I want you at the center. You are in charge. My, you are my final authority. That's who you are. That's what I want for you. So what does that look like? Okay, so I've gone in this big picture piece, and you can say, okay, God, I'm all in. I'm yours. What does that look like on a daily level? Let me give you a couple of different simple pictures of this. On one hand, what it says, every day I wake up and I say, God, what is it that you would have for my life? What is it that you want me to do today? How can I be a person who gives expression to who you are today? Right? Real simple question every day. It can be in the most simplest way. So uh, yesterday morning, got up and we had to do some yard work. And uh, been thinking about my neighbor a little bit, who I never get to meet. We have this couple who live beside us uh, in the house next door. I might see them once a year. It amazes me. They're a young couple, a young Asian couple who live with uh, one of their parents. And I see the parents once in a while because usually they're doing some yard work. They don't speak any English, so it's smiling and bowing. Uh, There's a lot of that that happens. Their kids who own the home, I've literally in five years, I think I've seen them three times. It's like, oh, they have a child. Didn't know that. Suddenly there's this little kid walking around every now and then. But I'll see them maybe once a year. So I've been trying to figure out what do we do? How do we serve these people that we never see? Uh, yesterday morning got up, saw the, their grass was quite long. I haven't seen anyone around for a while. And um, so I don't know if they're on a trip or something. Uh, so actually I said to my son, I said, well, when you're mowing our yard, why don't you just go mow their yard? I think it'd be a nice thing to do. Incredibly simple. Just been feeling nudged by the Spirit somehow. How do we show just some goodwill towards our neighbor, right? Very, very, very simple thing. But it's just saying, God, if you have everything of my life, then what does it mean for me to live that out? How do you live that out? Because you're in charge, God. My life is yours. Everything I have is yours. I choose life, which means I choose you. So how do I live that out? How do I give expression to that? The most incredibly simple thing possible. Another piece might be, I'll give you a more sensational story. I was in Ethiopia in January uh, meeting with uh, leaders of um, uh, the Mennonite church there as well as the broader uh, community. And there's a group we were with called Global Disciples who go around, uh, uh, they were meeting with the Ethiopian chapter. So these are guys who do discipleship with different groups and they start churches all over the country. So one of the guys in that group was giving a report that I felt called to go to northern Ethiopia and Ethiopia, the southern part is 18% uh, Christian. The northern part is 96% Muslim. So he felt called to go there to start a church. So he goes up there and he's preaching and his house gets burned down. Bit of a harsh reaction. Uh, so his house gets burned down. It'd be like, uh, when you think house, don't think, you know, your house, think mud hut kind of house. Gets burned down. So uh, his neighbors take, pull him out, you know, save him. So rebuild the house. He's out preaching again. Uh, house gets burned down again. 
Neighbors pull him out. He gets saved. He doesn't, doesn't die and rebuilds his house again. He still keeps on preaching. And his house gets burned down again. You know, maybe it's three strikes and you're out. He finally goes, okay, that's it. I give up. He moves away. This isn't working. And, uh, and he's praying. And as he's praying, he feels the Lord say to him, I want you to go back. And then he said, this was his testimony. Then he said, so I thought, okay, my life is the Lord's. I'm going back. And, uh, and I resolved to go and die. That's what he said. So he goes back, starts preaching again. And now the people who are trying to burn down his house become Christians. Today there's a church there of about 150 people. And some of those people who are trying to kill this brother uh, are now out starting new churches. Now, of course, that's a great story. But when he decided to go back after the house being burned down three times, he had no idea how this was going to turn out. That it was going to be a great story. He just stepped out in obedience because he chose life. I mean, that's, a, that's the dramatic story. What Moses was calling them to is to say, brothers and sisters, family members, God has led us for 40 years. Here's all the amazing things that he's done. But you are now walking into a new era. The past is your story, and this is how the past has shaped you. The future is opportunity because this is how God wants to bless you. But in the present is decision time. And decision time is not based around following God's rules. Decision time is not based on your human effort about what you say you will do in the future. Decision time is saying, who will be my final authority? Decision time is saying, under whose umbrella will I live? The Apostle Paul, as he was getting ready for the shipwreck on the island, he talks about the God whose I am and whom I serve. He uses that language. Friends, decision time is saying, whose are you? And I don't care what your story is in the past, what shaped you, what ch- how difficult it has been, or perhaps how good it's been. But the choice God invites you to, the choice God invited the people of Israel to, is to say, whose are you? Whose are you? That was the invitation. That is the choice that each of us have every day. That is the choice that each of us make in the big picture in terms of who do we follow, who's our final authority, and then the choice that we make every morning when we wake up again. We're going to have communion shortly. And really, communion uh, is us saying whose we are. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Because whenever we have communion, taking those very elements is actually saying, once again, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. And actually, I'm yours. I'm not jumping through a religious hoop. I'm not taking part in a ceremony because I grew up with this. The act of taking communion, the act of participation in the Lord's Supper is actually saying, I choose life. I choose God. Maybe you've never made that choice in your life. And perhaps today is the day when you 
decide to participate in the elements to say, you know what, this is my declaration. Maybe you've just been religious like the people of Israel. And you have all the information, but you've never made the choice. And today is the day to make the choice. Let's stand up, and I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for every person you brought here today. Father, we know that your word tells us that it's the spirit that draws us to you. And I believe that every person here today is here for a reason. Because it's your spirit who draws us. And if we're here, it's because you want to say something into our hearts. You want to speak deeply into our hearts, Father. And I pray we would be open to what you want to say. And I know the invitation that you've given us is to choose life. To choose you. Not to choose rules, not to choose obligation, but to choose you being sovereign over us. To choose to receive the gift of new life through Jesus Christ that we will celebrate through the Lord's Supper in a moment. To choose the reality of your goodness and your care for each one of us. Father, thank you that it's not beyond our grasp, as your word says, because of the presence of your spirit. Thank you that you have written it on our hearts as we keep seeking things, we keep looking for things, but what we're really looking for is you. So, Father, I pray this morning that we would make that choice to choose life. In your name I pray, amen.